probably wondering what you just watched right there. Well, there's a preview of our Easter service. We'll have auditions. Yeah. Auditions after this service if you're interested in a role. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're in a series called Outdated, and we're talking about some of the beliefs in the Bible that are pretty unpopular today. But just because a belief is unpopular, it doesn't mean that it's not true. We've already covered the topics of hell and creation, and I think those are some of the teachings of the Bible that even Christians really struggle to believe and think that is true. But this morning's topic is a little bit different. I think if we were to ask any Christian on the sidewalk if they believe that Jesus is coming back someday, they would probably say, absolutely, I believe that Jesus is coming back. So we are talking about the return of Jesus and the second coming, and I don't think that it's so much of an issue of whether or not we believe it's going to happen, but I think the challenging part for us is living like it's actually going to happen. And maybe it's just just because we don't think about it in our day-to-day lives, or maybe we just have a lot of questions about what will it actually look like when Jesus comes back. And I think in the last two years, more than any other time in my life, there's been a lot of craziness going on. I mean, the last two years have been a roller coaster of a ride between the pandemic and the social unrest in our country. Politics are a mess. Look beyond our country. There's a war going on in Ukraine. And it seems like every other day there's some kind of article about a natural disaster going on in the world. And we're living in a culture that calls wrong right and right wrong. And so maybe you're looking at all of these things and you're wondering, what does this all mean? Like, are the end times coming? But there's also some pretty weird conspiracy theories out there, and I don't want to go off the deep end. And so this morning, I just want to bring some clarity to what the Bible says about the return of Jesus. And my hope for us is that we will take what we learn and put it into action and to be ready for the return of Jesus. So if you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, we are in Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to get into this passage in just a little bit, but I want to set up the scenario here. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they're walking away from the temple And the disciples are just taking in the whole scene, checking out the temple. And they're like, wow, Jesus, look at how big it is. Look at at this building over here. Oh, look at all these features. Because the temple really was impressive. The temple has been considered one of the eighth wonders of the ancient world. And I want to give you just a virtual tour of the temple really quick up here on the screen. Yeah, you didn't even have to go to Israel for that tour. But anyways, the disciples are like, wow, this is so impressive. Even if we were to see the temple back in its days of glory, it would have been mind-blowing. Even without modern technology, the way they were able to construct this temple is extremely impressive. There were 162 stone pillars that were 30 feet tall, and it took three men linking arms just to be able to reach around one of these pillars, and they were all made out of a single stone. You could have fit 30 football fields into the size of the temple. 
And so if you were one of the disciples walking around with Jesus, you probably would have looked at the temple and thought, wow, this is impressive. This is so huge. This place is not going anywhere. But we all know what Jesus tends to do and just throw in some kind of mind-blowing words to his disciples. And so Jesus says, you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So Jesus is basically telling his disciples, see this whole temple? It's going to be leveled to the ground, absolutely destroyed. And for us, that would be like somebody telling you, you know what? The, temp- or the White House is going to be absolutely destroyed. Like you can't hear something like that and then just go about with the rest of your day like there's no big deal. The disciples, they had some pretty serious questions for Jesus. And so they walked away from the temple, and then they're up on a mountaintop overlooking all of Jerusalem. And then they bring their questions to Jesus. They're like, all right here, you said this temple is going to be destroyed. Tell us, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so this is how Jesus gets into this conversation with his disciples about when he will come back to earth And when the end of the age will come. And Jesus tells them about the signs that will take place in the timing of his return. And so to begin with, we're actually going to look at some of the signs that Jesus talks about here. But the first signs that we're going to look at are the signs that mean that Jesus is not necessarily coming back soon. Like they're going to happen, but it doesn't mean that he's coming back soon. So let's go ahead and check these out in verse 4. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus calls all three of these signs the beginning of birth pains. They're the initial indication that something is going to happen down the road. And the first sign that Jesus gives is that there's going to be false messiahs. Now, messiah is a pretty big word that means chosen one in Hebrew. And when Jesus came to earth, he revealed that he was the chosen one of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And so that's why we call Jesus, Jesus Christ. Not because Christ is his last name, but Christ means Messiah in Greek. It also means chosen one. So Messiah and Christ all mean chosen one. So for there to be people who are claiming to be the Messiah, they're basically claiming that they are Jesus. Jesus is saying, all right, this is going to happen, but don't be alarmed and don't believe them. Now there's two other signs that Jesus gives here. And he he talks about wars and natural disasters. I subscribe to a news article, and just about every day, I get five news events going on in the world. And it seems like for the last while, the top two things going on in the world have been the war in Ukraine and some kind of natural disaster. And it can be really easy to look at those things and think, does this mean that Jesus is coming back? But Jesus says that these things are going to happen, but it does not mean that the end 
is coming. The end is still to come. Because we can look back on history and see that there have been plenty of wars and natural disasters. I think the people living during World War I were probably thinking, this is the time that Jesus is coming back. And then Jesus didn't come back during World War I. And then the people are going through World War II and thinking, all right, if World War I wasn't the end, this is the end. And we can look now beyond that. And that hasn't happened yet. And so Jesus is saying, these things will happen, but it doesn't mean that I'm coming back soon. So what are the signs that Jesus is coming back soon? And that's what we'll read about in verse 9. So you can follow along with me in verse 9. It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I said before that, that wars and natural disasters, they've happened all throughout history. But how about some of these signs that we just read about? Have some of these things already happened and taken place? And so now that we've read through the passage, I want to go back and look at each sign individually. And you can think about whether or not this has already taken place. So let's start in verse 9 again. It says, when you will, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Well, we know from history that most of the disciples were persecuted because of their faith and even put to death. And we also know even today there are Christians who lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. This statistic I read this week just blew my mind. But I said that one out of eight Christians is at least at risk for persecution. And so I think it's accurate to say that persecution is going on today. But how about being hated by all nations? Well, during the time of Jesus, there were a lot of nations who didn't know who Jesus was, and so they didn't even know who Christians were or what Christians stand for. And so all the nations of the world couldn't necessarily hate the Christians because, well, they'd never heard of Christians. And I think today we are living in an age where Just about the whole world knows about Christianity, or at least all the major governments. And I don't know where we're at at this point, if this has been completely fulfilled. But if it's not, I think we might be getting close to that point, thanks to media and technology. So let's take a look at the second sign. In verse 10 it says, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Well, Jesus is saying that, As the end draws near, there's going to be more and more people who go through the motions of being a Christian. They do what Christians do. They go to church. And then they've got this turning point in their lives where they say, forget Christianity. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And they reject God. And they leave behind themselves a trail of betrayal and hatred. And... They, they end up talking bad about Christianity. They end up talking bad about the church. And I don't think that we can find any shortage today of stories about people who have given up on the Christian faith. 
There's a term for it today called deconstruction of the Christian faith, where people will tell their deconstruction story about how they were in the church and then they no longer agreed with what the Bible was teaching or uh, they'll tell you their opinions about Christians and really put Christianity in a negative light. And I think it's pretty accurate to say that this is happening in our lifetime and that this sign is fulfilled. Well, how about this next one? In verse 11, it says, Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. I think that this sign has been fulfilled through prophets like Muhammad and Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon cult. And so between Islam and Mormonism, these religions have led millions of people astray. There's some similarities to Christianity and what the Bible teaches, but most of it is full of untruths and lies that have led people away. And so that's why I think that this sign has been fulfilled during our time. And then in verse 12, Jesus says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So as time goes on, as we get closer to the return of Jesus, there's going to be more and more people who just don't show love, who are more selfish and focused on their own desires and their own agendas. And Jesus said at another point in the Bible that the rest of the world will know that we are Christians based on our love towards others. And our love towards other people, it gives proof that we actually love Jesus and that we're following him. And I think that in the last days, there's going to be more and more people who maybe even call themselves Christians, but if we look at their life, we don't see any proof of that in the way that they love others. And so I think we can say with a bit of confidence that that is absolutely taking place in our lifetime. And so up to this point, all of these signs have been pretty negative, but this last one that Jesus gives is a little bit different. And so this is what it says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this sign is about the good news of Jesus taken around the world to all nations. I think at this point it's safe to say that all major world governments have heard the good news of Jesus. So that part at least is fulfilled. But then there's probably obscure people groups who have yet to hear of the name of Jesus and the message of salvation. And so perhaps this one isn't yet fulfilled, but even if it's not, I think that we are getting pretty close to that point. And Jesus says, when all of these signs from verse 9 all the way to 14 take place, then the end will come. And then Jesus goes on to talk about an event that will take place before he returns. And this event is called the Great Tribulation. It's a seven-year period where God pours out judgment on the earth. And the whole point of this period is for the people of Israel to return to a relationship with God. Tribulation means affliction or suffering. And the middle of the tribulation is going to be marked by something that's called the abomination that causes desolation. And so that's what Jesus talks about in verse 15. He says, So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. At the time that Jesus is talking to his disciples about the abomination that causes desolation, most of the people in that time period would have thought that this prophecy was already completely fulfilled by a Greek king named Antiochus. So a couple hundred years before Jesus is talking to his disciples here, this Greek king Antiochus invaded Israel. He killed more than 80,000 Jewish men, women, and children. And then to make things worse, he marched into the temple and he sacrificed a pig to the Greek god Zeus. And it's a pretty big deal that he sacrificed this pig because according to Jewish culture and their obedience to the law, pigs were unclean animals. They weren't even allowed to eat pork. To eat a pig as a Jew is like for us to eat a rat. It's unclean, it's disgusting, it's gross. And then to make things even worse, Antiochus forced the priests to eat the meat of this pig. He forced them to break the law and to be disobedient before God and and hurt their conscience in that way. And so if you were to ask any Jew during the time of Jesus, what was the worst and most tragic event in, in the history of Israel in the last 500 years, I think they would all point back to this event, the abomination that causes desolation. But here Jesus is saying, what happened with Antiochus was only a partial fulfillment, and this abomination that causes desolation is still to come. What, what has already been seen in Israel's history is just a small picture of what is yet to take place. Antiochus was a pretty awful and wicked guy, but we know from Second Thessalonians that there will come a man who is known as the Antichrist, or the man of lawlessness, and it says in Second Thessalonians that he will go into the temple and he will sacrifice an uh, offering to an image of himself. And Jesus says, when that happens, if you are alive on the face of the earth, run for the hills. Because this event will be an indicator that God's judgment is about to pour out onto the earth. And... We know that some of these things haven't happened yet. The seven-year tribulation has definitely not happened yet. I tend to think that the temple will probably be rebuilt before that happens. But Jesus' intention in this passage is not for us to see these signs and then think, this hasn't happened yet, this hasn't happened yet. Yet Jesus is a long way off. The whole purpose that Jesus has in giving these words is for us to be observant to look at the signs and to see what's going on in our lives and to think Jesus could be coming back soon. And I think that should be what motivates us to live the way that we live. And so we know the signs leading up to Jesus' return, but what will characterize his return? What will that look like? And so let's take a minute to talk about that. The first thing that we know from this passage about the return of Jesus is that it's going to be obvious Let's go ahead and look in verse 23. It says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. 
Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so Jesus is saying, if there, if there's somebody posting on Facebook or they even make a TikTok about their Jesus and they're coming back to earth, don't at all believe it. Even if they can do magic tricks like make their thumb disappear, come on and off. Nope, don't buy into it. Because if there's any question of whether or not that is Jesus, it's not Jesus. Because when Jesus comes back, it will be totally obvious. Now, there's some people who get me confused with a bodybuilder named Jeff Nippard. Actually, <laughs> only one person at the gym came up to me, and he was like, dude, I was lifting, and then I saw you out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, wow, Jeff Nippard came to Tunkhannock. And I know he was just saying what a lot of people are thinking, all right? They see me lifting weights. They could probably think like, yep, he's got blonde hair. He's got a beard. He's in the gym. Maybe that's Jeff Nippard. But if Jeff Nippard were to walk into the gym, he could probably pick up whatever it was that I was deadlifting and start curling it with one arm. And then everybody else in the gym would be like, now there's the real Jeff Nippard. There would be no doubts. And I, I think the same will be true with Jesus. There might be some questions about, is this guy the Messiah? Is this Jesus coming back? But if there's any question, it's not Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, it'll be absolutely obvious. The second thing that will characterize the return of Jesus is that it will be met with great sadness. In verse 30, it says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with the power and great glory. Now, these are not Christians who are sad that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to be met with mourning by unbelievers, people who want to have nothing to do with Jesus. And they've spent their lives doing whatever it is that they want to do in rejecting Jesus. And they are going to be sad because when Jesus comes back, there will be no design, denying that Jesus is real and that he has come back to judge those who have rejected him. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And that's actually the third thing about his return that we're looking at here. Jesus answers the question about the timing of his return. But his answer maybe isn't what we want to hear. He says in verse 36, But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father Imagine how things would be different if we knew exactly when Jesus was coming back. Like if we had it on our calendars, Jesus is coming back January 1st, 2023. I think there would be a lot of people just living life the way that they want to live life until the day before Jesus shows up. And then they'll become Christians. They'll just go through the motions of saying the sinner's prayer or something like that. And I think that Jesus is pretty intentional about not telling us when he is coming back. I think that most of us can think back to a time in our childhoods when our parents left us at home and they said, all right, before we come back, I need you to do these chores. Maybe it's washing the dishes or something like that. And if we knew that our parents were going to be back at 3 o'clock, what did we do? We did whatever we wanted until 2.50, and then we're scrambling to get the dishes done right before they walk into the doors. 
But if we don't know when they're coming back and we don't want to get in trouble and we know we should do what they say, then we should probably make it our first thing to do what we were told to do so that they could come back at any moment and see that we've already done what we were supposed to do or they would catch us doing the good work that they said to do. And so both of those are pretty good options. And I think we should all, let's just take a deep breath right now. We have covered a lot of information this morning. I hope you didn't get lost in some of the details of all of this kind of stuff. But my hope for us this morning is not to just take in an information dump. And my hope for us this morning is to to look at all of this, what the Bible says about the return of Jesus, and then ask ourselves the question, in light of what we've just read, how then should we live? How should our lives be different? Because even if you're a little bit confused about some of the details in this passage, that's fine. I get it. It's pretty confusing. You can always go back and reread parts of this. But I think what matters the most is that we take what we do know and that we put it into action and we live the way that Jesus is calling us to live. And I think that Jesus is calling us to live in preparation for his return. And he gives a bunch of parables at the end of verse 24 and all the way through chapter 25 about being ready for his return. And I don't really have the time to get into all of that this morning, but I do want to bring our attention to verse 42 where Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. My fiance Gabby and I, we have some differences, believe it or not. And one of our differences is that she will lock all the doors. She'll lock the doors to the house. She'll lock the doors to the car, even in the church parking lot, even in our driveway. I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? Because I am on the whole other end of things. I don't lock anything. I probably shouldn't say this to a big group of people, but if you ever want to break into my house, you can just walk right in. But things might be a little bit different if I knew that sometime this week, somebody's going to break into my house and steal everything that I own. If I knew that was going to happen, I would probably write a note that says, don't forget the dog. (laughs) Nah, (laughs) actually, I would be a lot more intentional to lock my doors, to stay on guard, and to make sure that this person does not break into my house. And the point that Jesus is making is that all of us should be ready for Jesus to come back because we know that Jesus is coming back. We just don't know the timing of it. And so what does it take to be ready? And if you are not a believer in Jesus, the best thing that you can do to be ready for his return is to believe in him for salvation and to put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross so that you can have forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, you will have a relationship with God that goes on from this life into all of eternity. And the coming of Jesus won't be something that makes you sad. It shouldn't be something that gives you anxiety. But it's something to look forward to. Because it means that Jesus will be coming back in a display of power to rule on the earth with all of his followers. And that's something that we can look forward to. And if you are a believer, 
then one of the steps that you can take to be ready for Jesus is to take the gospel to other people, to invite people to church, and to just steward well the resources that God has given you. In a, a parable in this passage that I didn't get into, Jesus makes it pretty clear that we are all entrusted with resources, and we will be held accountable at the end of our lives for how we spent our money, how we used our time, what we did with the talents and abilities that God has given us. And my hope for all of us is that at the end of our lifetime, that Jesus will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't think that there is anything more joyous than hearing those words from Jesus. And so let's live in preparation for Jesus to return by doing the things that Jesus has called us to do and to take the gospel to those who have not heard it yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this life is not all that there is, that you are not leaving this world to sin and brokenness for all of eternity, but you are a God of redemption, and you take broken lives and you turn them around and make them brand new. And we know that someday you are going to do that with this world. A sinful, corrupt world will be made new and we will enjoy living in your presence for all of eternity. And God, I ask that you would just help us to live in preparation for that day, to live like you could show up even tomorrow. And I ask that when you come back, that you would find us doing the things that you have called us to do, that we would be on mission for making more and better disciples of Jesus, that each and every one of us would come to that place where We've come to you knowing that we are broken, that we can't get to heaven in our own strength, and that we would all believe in you for salvation and receive the relationship that you offer us. God, help us to cling to the hope that we have in you and to honor you with all that we do. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.